This morning in our series about the family, we're going to turn to a topic that applies to the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and their children, really all relationships for that matter. The topic is communication. And I can't think of anything more important in any relationship if you want it to be a strong, healthy, growing relationship than communication. It is just that important. And if we don't work at it, poor communication will wreak havoc in our relationships and in our lives as a result. I read about a farmer who traveled into the big city to meet with an attorney because he wanted to get a divorce. So he arrived at the office and he met the attorney and the attorney said, can I help you? And he said, yeah. In his uh, southern drawl, he said, I want to get one of them there uh, divorces. And so the attorney said, well, okay. He said, do you have any grounds? The farmer said, yes, sir. Got about 140 acres. He said, no, no, no. You're not getting me here. I mean, do you have a case? The farmer said, no. He said, I got a John Deere though. He said, no, no, you, you're not getting what I'm saying. Do, do you have a grudge? He said, yes, sir, got a grudge. It's where I parked my John Deere. So the attorney's getting a little frustrated. He said, no, sir, do you have a suit? The farmer said, yep, we're at church every Sunday. Finally, the attorney, getting a little more exasperated, said, sir, I mean, does your wife beat you up or anything? He said, no, sir, we both get up about 5.30 every morning. Finally, just in, in total exasperation and frustration, the attorney said, let me put it this way. Why do you want to get a divorce? And the farmer said, because I can't communicate with her about anything. <laughs> well, I hope you're not in that position, but most of us would admit that in pretty much every relationship we have ever been a part of, there are times when we feel like we are speaking a foreign language with the people that we're in conversation and communication with, even though we are both speaking the same native tongue. So as we think about communication and this topic that's so important in relationships, especially in our marriage and our families, our first question, as it should be in any situation, is to say, what does the Bible have to say about this topic or this issue or this situation? Well, turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to see an answer to that question. Now, I'll tell you that on this topic of communication, this isn't the only passage in Scripture that gives us principles for communication But it's the one that I felt like God wanted me to share with you this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is telling the believers in Ephesus that because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, their lives should be different. You should be a different person because of who Jesus Christ is to you and what he's doing in your life. And he tells them that one difference a growing relationship with Jesus Christ makes is noticeable. People see it displayed in our speech and our communication with other people, whether they be believers and unbelievers, uh, whether they be uh, family and friends, or, or whether we don't even know them at all, our relationship with Jesus Christ should impact how we speak and how we communicate with other people. And in verse 29 of Ephesians 4, Paul highlights how those in a growing relationship with Christ will communicate differently than those who don't know Christ. He says in verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember this this morning. Christ-centered thinking leads to Christ-exalting speech and lifestyles. Let me say it again. Christ-centered thinking leads to Christ-exalting speech and lifestyles. And look at verse 17 of Ephesians 4 to see that this first step in Christ-exalting communication occurs in the mind. Paul says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He tells us not to walk as the Gentiles do, and the Gentiles were the people of the world. So he says, don't walk as they do, and he tells us that they walk like they do because they think like they do. He says that there's futility in their minds. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They just don't get it, these, these spiritual principles and these truths. And he says they are alienated from God because of their ignorance. They don't know and they haven't received uh, the gift of salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit because they didn't recognize it and understand it. But listen to the contrast he makes in verse 20 of that passage. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. What is learning? It is part of understanding. It's a process in the mind. That's not the way he says you learned Christ. In verse 22, he says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, in your minds, don't think like them because because of Jesus Christ, you are different. You've been made new. Put off the old self. Put on the new self of Jesus Christ, and it will influence what you do. So we say, well, what does this mean for us in communication? Well, a couple things. First, it means this. It means we need to think about what we say to our spouses and our children. As we think about the family relationship, we need to think about what we are saying to them. And that's not just with our words but it's also with our actions. We need to think about what we're saying to them with our attitudes and with our tone of voice as we say things. We need to think about what we're saying to our spouses and to our children and to other people through our body language, through our eye contact or lack of eye contact. What do these messages say to them? That I value you, I think you're important, or that I don't value you? I could care less about what you're saying and what you're doing right now. We need to think about these things and the messages that are being conveyed through them. Because as much as we try and convince ourselves that, that words aren't a big deal, words are a big deal. You know, we say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That is a flat-out lie. Words do hurt. And oftentimes, words cause more damage and pain than even sticks and stones and broken bones. Because a broken bone is going to heal in a matter of weeks. You set it, it grows back, and you move on with life. But words can linger for days, for months, for years, even a lifetime. Do we play over and over these messages that were spoken to us by parents, by friends, by church members. We hear these things, do we not? And they cause that pain each time we hear and we reflect on those things. 
So choose your words carefully and think about the impact that they can have. Paul tells us, he says, let no corrupting talk, is the word he uses, corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You know what the word corrupting talk means? Rotten. Rotten. Paul says, let no rotten talk, no rotten words come out of your mouth. It's a word used to describe rotting fruits and vegetables and other living things that are decaying. So it's a good word for us to keep in mind when we think about our speech. Don't use your words to tear down, to, to belittle, to, to, to cause rot and decay. You don't throw rotten apples. Well, maybe you do throw rotten apples at people. I don't know. And just This is a fun trick. But don't do that with your words because rot is loss of life. It's decay and life is waning. It's going away from these fruits and these vegetables and things. And Paul says, don't let your words cause that rot, that decay, that destruction in people's lives. And if we're not going to do that, we need to think about what we're saying. Have you ever had a conversation turn into an argument when later, when, when kind of things are, or you're on the downhill slope of that, somebody says, well, I'm sorry, it's not you, it's me, it's just that I've had such and such and such and such going on, and they explain what really is the issue that's underneath there, and in your mind you're thinking, well, thank you very much. You know, if you'd identified that, you know, 10 minutes ago before you threw up on me and all your frustration and, you know, just aired everything, now you're trying to squeeze the toothpaste back into the tube, so to speak, and you just can't do it. You're going to have been nice if you'd have known that 10 minutes ago uh, in the situation. We've all been there. And that comes, we prevent those things as we think about what we say before we say it. Christ-centered thinking leads to Christ-exalting speech. And Paul says, don't have corrupting talk, but only such as good, he says, for building up. For building up. So one thing you need to do is you need to think about you before you talk to others. Think about you before you talk to others. What's going on within you? What's in your heart, your spirit? What situations are going on? Don't take that out on people around you. Okay? Don't, don't put those things out there. Paul says, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those... Who hear? Remember, you are on the same team in this marriage and this family relationship. Your wife, your husband, your children, children, your parents, you're on the same team. You are in this thing together. They are not the enemy. And so Paul tells us to not let corrupting talk come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for building up. The word for building up there is a combination of two words. Uh, the first is oikos, and it means a family, a home, or a house. And the other word in there is, is demo, to build. So it literally means use your words to build a house, a home, or a family. To build up and to encourage and, and to set a foundation and build things up. And Paul tells us to do this as fits the occasion. So that tells us that we need to be appropriate. You need to be appropriate in your speech. That means at an appropriate time with an appropriate tone of voice, with an appropriate heart and spirit, with an appropriate attitude, speak these things to other people. And you know what? That even applies to corrective words that need to be spoken. No matter how difficult they are, words can still build up in difficult situations. But the thing that we need to discern, and this comes by having Christ-centered thoughts, is how to best approach the situation, how to best have the conversation, even though it may be a difficult conversation, even though you may need to say some hard things. And the instant something happens may not always be the best time to address it. 
because sometimes you're not in control of yourself and your own emotions. This is thinking about you. Hey, I'm really, this probably isn't a good time for me to say this because I'm really feeling frustrated and hurt uh, and attacked right now. So maybe it's not best because of me. Maybe it's not best because of the person. That's the, maybe they're not ready to receive. And if you say, hey, why don't you cool it a little bit? It's only going to open up a whole other uh, level of frustration and animosity. So maybe they're not ready to receive it. Or sometimes it's not the appropriate context or situation to deal with something and to address the issue that needs to be addressed. Shelly and I hadn't been married too long when we were uh, spending an evening hanging out with some friends, uh, just kind of carrying on playing some games, just being together with some buddies of ours. And in the car on the way home, I noticed that it was um, cool. Not because the air conditioner was on either, if, if you know what I mean. And so I asked Shelly, I was like, honey, are you okay? Because in my mind, as I thought about the evening, nothing stood out to me that I had done wrong. So I, I you know, didn't think that she would be frustrated at me. So you know, I waited in and said, hey, are you okay? Is anything wrong? Well, she then told me that when I had been cracking jokes that night to make people laugh, as I'm known to do sometimes, that I had said something as part of my stand-up routine that hurt her. It embarrassed her and hurt her feelings. Don't even remember what it is now. Uh, but she was hurt and embarrassed by that. And so I apologized and told her, honey, that's not my intent. That wasn't what I was you know, planning to do by that. Uh, sometimes just the gatekeeper between my brain and my mouth doesn't uh, stand guard like he should. And these things get out that shouldn't be out. And uh, so we talked through this. And, and I saw that my words hurt her. And I didn't want to do that and, and inflict that kind of pain. And so we talked about boundaries in our marriage relationship. What's appropriate for conversation? What's not appropriate for conversation? And sometimes even in my sermon and preaching, I have to go back and revisit some of those ground rules on what's appropriate and what's not. Uh, and so we talked about those things. And it helped me prevent some of those things in the future. It was a hard conversation for her to have. Her feelings were hurt. But she still addressed those things. And I don't always stay in those lines, but it did help me grow in that area and prevent some of those things in the future. But the point of that story and the reason I tell you that is how Shelley handled the situation. You know, if in the middle of the room and with all of our friends when I said that, she said, Well, I can't believe you just said that. You never told me you feel that way. And well, that's not nearly as bad as you doing da 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 da. And you know, kind of going there, that would have been awkward. For uh, everybody in the room, particularly me, she didn't handle it in that way. But most of us, as you think about that, we've seen those kind of outbursts, haven't you? You've been in a theme park, people are hot and they're frazzled at the end of the day, and you see one of those outbursts with the husband and wife or with their kids, or you're in a restaurant and that kind of stuff's going on, or you're in a store and everybody's kind of going, woohoo, and steering away and giving them a wide berth around there. There's just something within us that says, mm, this isn't the place to have those kind of reactions and that kind of conversation. So we need to be appropriate in how we do this. And, and parents, this applies to our kids as well. Uh, one thing we try to do, we try to talk with our kids a few minutes each night before uh, we lay them down and they go to sleep and we pray with them. And if there's something that happened that day, we'll tell them what we observed that was good and we appreciated about them and we were proud of them for that and we do that. But there are times that we've sat on the edge of the bed and we've said, Honey, today, do you remember at the store or do you remember at so-and-so's house when this went on? Well, that wasn't appropriate. You know, that wasn't good behavior. It wasn't appropriate behavior because of this. And we walk them through some of those things. But we're doing that with, our, with the emotion of the situation removed, with our voices in check, our tempers calmed, uh, and, and trying to deal with and walk through those things. Now, we've also had times where we've lost our cool in the course of the day. And so that conversation at the bedtime is us apologizing to our children and asking their forgiveness because we lost our cool and we didn't handle it well. And there have even been those occasions where in the course of the night, after the kids are in bed, Shelly or I, one, will we'll sit down and look at the other and say, you know, today when such and such went on, I don't know that we 
or you really handled it all that well today. And we kind of walked through what we saw in the situation, and maybe it was a little over the top in punishment and discipline that was doled out, and we walked through those things. Those are not fun conversations. I, really, I don't like receiving those at all, but man, how do you get into that conversation? I mean, that's, that's always the hardest part for us men is what's that first sentence you're going to say? I mean, you were really mean today. Not a good opening sentence, all right? You just, but it's, I think that's one of the hardest things for men is how do you broach and get into that conversation? And there is no right or wrong way, guys. I mean, you just, sometimes you just got to get in there, okay? Well, I'll take that back. There is a right and a wrong way, but you just have to think through it. And the thing is, don't put it off and not do it, okay? You need to have those conversations when they're necessary. And so as we've talked through those things, generally the next morning, uh, we'll find us talking to our kids and saying, hey, I'm sorry about yesterday and sorry about this. Dad and I talked about it or mom and I talked about it last night and we'll ask our kids forgiveness and we'll pray with them and we'll ask God's forgiveness and to help us do better in the future. But you see, those are just a couple of ideas. That's how we apply this, this concept of Paul saying, as fits the occasion that it may grace those who hear. I mean, it's appropriate in, in the approach and how we do it with a right heart and a right spirit, and it helps the person. I mean, it helps them grow and mature and be a better communicator and be a better spouse or parent or, or, or friend or family member or whatever. It helps that. You're showing God's grace and love to them in that situation. But whatever you do, don't skip this step. Don't skip it and not talk about it, uh, because while it may not be appropriate to deal with something the moment tempers flare when emotions are running high, don't put it off till later and then never bring it up because that's going to bring about a whole mess of stuff we're going to talk about in just a second that's not good. Shelly and I, we would be out in public and we would have some things going on with our kids and we're like, when we get home, we're going to talk about this because we knew it wasn't an appropriate venue for that. And then life happens, and I don't know if you parents are like this, but we would just forget about it. We'd get home and it's time for bed and it's time for this and we'd just rush through and we wouldn't always follow through in these conversations and these disciplines. Well, one day, uh, we, we, something had happened with one of our kids, and we were kind of giving this, and we were going to talk about this, we're going to deal with it, when we get home. And one of them piped up and said, no, you won't, you always forget about it. And we were like, oh, it's on now. It is on. So one of the conversations that night was, first of all, if you think it, you better not even say that and let mom and dad know that they've been forgetting. But it caused us as parents to say, you know what we do? We're not always consistent in that. What are we going to do? And this was back before some of the technologies that we have now. So what we would do is we were out somewhere. We would call our house and leave a message on the answering machine. I, I'm, not, I'm not lying. We call. We need to talk about such and such when we get home. So we get home, we listen to the messages and go, oh, yeah, now we use our phones and stuff like that. And the kids are like, oh, no, I'm getting a voicemail, you know, great. Dude. So whatever it is, and husbands and wives, what it just to cause you to have that conversation, have those conversations and deal with those things. Because if you don't, that will lead to us grieving the Holy Spirit by neglecting communication. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by neglecting communication because if you don't deal with these things, they're going to build up, they're going to pressurize, and you're going to have this list of things that Paul tells us to not have. He says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I mean, have you seen those things creep into uh, people's marriage and family relationships because they refuse to deal with problems and issues in a biblical manner? I mean, if we don't have Christ-centered thoughts, which, which prevent these things from coming into our lives, they will become part of our lives because of our futile minds, our darkened understanding, uh, being ignorant of the things of God. These things naturally and normally come from the flesh. 
And if our mind isn't centered and focused on Christ, they will flow forth from our mouths and be demonstrated in our lives. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we say these things, they're coming from a heart. They're what's inside of us. It's like a cup. If you've got a cup that is full and someone bumps into you and something spills out, what comes out of that cup? What's in the cup? If it's a cup of coffee and you get jostled, what's coming out of it? Coffee. If it's a cup of tea and somebody jostles you, what's coming out of it? Tea. So these words that come forth are showing what's on the inside. These things are there within us. And Paul says, get rid of those. And if we don't communicate and talk and deal with needs and conflict and issues, these things will well up within us and they will burst forth. And let me walk you through these things. Paul says bitterness. Bitterness is is described as a smoldering resentment. It is a grudge-filled attitude that, first of all, causes us to withdraw. We kind of withdraw into ourselves. But given the opportunity, we lash out. We inflict hurt and pain on others because we ourselves are hurting. So bitterness causes us to recoil and be to ourselves until there's an opportunity, until there's a moment. And then we lash out and we hurt others, not necessarily because they did anything worthy of being hurt, but because of our own hurt and our own pain. Remember, hurt, hurting people hurt people. Wrath is described here as a wild rage that unleashes bitterness outwardly in a spontaneous burst of aggression and fury. This is when the wick is lit and it burns down and then the explosion is there. That is wrath. It's that outward, oh, I can't take it anymore. And it all comes bursting forth because it hasn't been dealt with and the pressure hasn't been released. Anger is an internal, it's a subtle, it is a deep feeling of discontentment of frustration, and of hurt. And left unchecked, anger grows into bitterness, which comes forth as wrath or as clamor. This is a great word here. Clamor is a word used to describe a shout or an outcry of frustration that reveals a loss of self-control. It's a shout or an outcry of frustration that reveals a loss of self-control. When you're out in public, if you've been in these theme parks or, or the restaurants or something, and you hear this kind of outcry, and these people are raising their voices and they're getting at each other, that's clamor. It rises above the noise and it draws your attention and you go, ooh, that's, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. And it shows that they kind of lost all self-control. Generally, when that's going on, you think, those people have lost it. They have lost their minds to be acting this way in public uh, at this level of things that are going on. In our house, you will often hear clamor coming from our den as Caleb and I play Mario Kart Wii. And he beats the pants off of me. And I'll be saying these things and yelling out of frustration, this game hates me, it always cheats and it helps him win. And it doesn't like me at all. And I lose all sense of control. And Shelly says, little ears are listening. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm clamoring again, aren't I? So it just, it bursts forth because it's unchecked and it's not released. Slander is this defamation or speaking negative things against someone that comes from a bitter heart. We're so bitter, we're so upset that we begin to speak negative things to, to tear people down because we're so hurt and frustrated in those things. And don't think we're above this because here's how I've seen this happen so many times. Women get together or men get together or children are all together and they begin talking about things and having conversation and the conversation takes a turn and somebody will start talking about their husband and somebody will say, oh yeah, mine does that too. And then he does this and we kind of start dogpiling on. And, and husbands, we do that to our wives and kids, you do that with your parents as well. Well, listen to what my parents do. You're not going to believe, you know, what kind of stuff they do at our house and this kind of stuff. And we begin to dogpile on and just uh, speak all these things, these negative things. And that doesn't help. 
We're not building those persons up, and we're not elevating them in our own sight. We're actually devaluing them, and we're thinking less of them by saying these negative things about them. And malice is a term here that's a general term for evil that Paul identifies as the root of all moral vices and disobedience against God. He said malice is just, just evil in any form, and it starts all these other things in motion. So not communicating and not talking through relationship issues provides fertile soil for these things to take root and begin to grow in our lives. And these are sins that are constant temptations in every relationship. But if left unchecked, If left unchecked in our lives, they will break fellowship and they can ultimately destroy and sever relationships completely. So we have to stay on guard against these things. And we only do it by thinking Christ-centered thoughts. And as we think those Christ-centered thoughts, we, we talk and we deal and we discuss with these things to build up and to encourage and edify the people in our home. So be on guard and do the hard work of communicating and dealing with whatever issues it is that you may be facing. And I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter how long they've been around. There's no statute of limitations on hurt and pain and frustrations in a marriage relationship. If you've been married 20 years and there are things that have been building for 15 of those, talk about those things. Get them out in the open. Diffuse that ticking bomb that's taking place in your heart and in your spirit. Make apologies when necessary. And then talk about how you want to see things changed in the future, both for yourself and for the other person. Well, finally this morning, I want us to look at not just what we shouldn't say, but what we should say, how we should act. Because remember, Christ-centered thinking leads to Christ-exalting speech and lifestyles. So when your mind is fixed on Christ and the things of God, it's going to influence what you say. It's going to influence how you say it and how you behave. And in verse 32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know, if those things won't improve a relationship, then nothing will. As you cultivate your relationship with Christ, the grace he pours into your life will cause you to think about these things about being kind, about being tenderhearted, about being forgiving. You will think about these things. And as you think about them and you pray for them to be evidenced in your life and in your relationships, they will become a part of who you are in your speech and in your actions. You will build godly communication habits into your speech and your life as you think and reflect upon these things and pray for them to be evidenced. Kindness reminds us that even when we need to say tough things, We should present the information with a kind and gentle heart. There's no reason to be mean-spirited. It's going to hurt enough for you to say the things that need to be spoken. Don't don't be mean-spirited about it. Be, Be as kind as you can be when you say those difficult things. Tender-hearted is a word used to describe the, the intestines, actually, because the ancients believed that when there was mercy and compassion, that it came from within your intestines because there's this feeling, there's this longing. When you see someone who's hurting, who's being ridiculed, who's being beat down, you have this compulsion of, I want to help them, and you just have this sick feeling in your stomach that says, I feel so sorry for them, I want to do something. And so they use the word uh, to speak of tender-heartedness as coming from your gut. Just that you want to help and you want to do things to help and you're just compelled and moved uh, because of this feeling of mercy and compassion that you have for them. And think about that with your, with your spouse and with your children, that you want to make them better people. 
You want to, to build them up and encourage and edify them and help them be stronger people and be the best that they can be. That should be our desire that moves us to speak these things uh, and deal with these issues no matter how difficult they may be. But we need to also learn, Paul says, to forgive. We need to learn to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And sometimes that means that we need to learn to forget and not respond out of the anger that's there from the past. I mean, think about it. God was perfect, completely perfect, without sin. And we hurt him deeply by our sin and our disobedience. Yet what did he do? He forgave us through Jesus Christ. So how can we who are not perfect refuse to forgive others when they hurt us? Christ forgave us, and so we need to forgive our our family members and our friends. An unforgiving heart and spirit can cause irreparable damage to a relationship. If a husband or a wife harbors anger and bitterness and resentment over something that happened in the past and keeps drudging that up, it causes their partner and their family members to avoid conflict altogether. You say, well, well why is that? I mean, if, it, if it's there, they, you know, they talk about it and they bring it up, why would they avoid conflict? Well, here's the thing. If I make a mistake today and Shelly brings up that mistake and starts in about something that happened three months ago and six months ago and it's always been like this and I keep doing this and she's rehashing those things that are there, I feel completely hopeless and helpless in that situation because I can't go back three and six months and deal with the things and change things that happened there, but I know that she's still hurting and she's still upset about those because she just mentioned them today, even though today's mistake may have not been connected to those things at all. And sometimes the anger that that a spouse expresses isn't really the anger of right now, right here in this moment. It's the buildup of all these things in the past because they're not forgiving. They're not letting those go. But here's the thing, friends, I want to challenge you with. Your spouse can't make you forgive. They can't cause you to let it go and to not react out of that. That's a work only you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Forgiveness is your choice. Yes, there was pain. Yes, there was hurt. Yes, yes, there was conflict and and all those things. Yes, it's there. But forgiving is choosing not to react from those situations, but to react here and now with grace and mercy and kindness and tenderheartedness through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to do that work of forgiving and letting those things go because when you drudge them up and you keep bringing those things up, you're rehashing that anger, that resentment, that bitterness, and you're not allowing yourself to move forward. And you're poisoning the relationship and you're hurting those who are around you. So through Jesus Christ, learn to forgive. One thing to help this communication, that's the last thing for today, is I'm going to encourage you to take the 30-day prayer challenge. Take the 30-day prayer challenge, and here's what this is, and here's how simple it is. This is a challenge for you to pray with your spouse and your children or family members that you have at least one time every single day. To pray out loud with your spouse and your children at least once every day for the next 30 days. This will radically impact your communication because it will cause kindness and forgiveness and tenderheartedness to be expressed in your relationships. Because here's the deal. It's really hard to pray with clenched teeth. You know, it's really hard to pray with clenched teeth. Lord, I pray tonight for my kids. God, I pray that you would just bring blessing and mercy and grace. You just can't do that, all right? There's, you know, there, there's just a, a total check in our spirit that says we can't go that route. And so as you are committing to pray with your spouse, with your children for the next 30 days, when those things are there, You'll talk about, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, before we pray, can we talk about such and such today? And it helps clear the air uh, and give you that, that closeness, that intimacy before 
you pray. So make it your goal to do it every day for the next 30 days. If you miss a day, don't give up. Don't quit. If you miss three or four days, get back in it. Get going. Experts tell us it takes 21 days to develop a new habit. So do this for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, evaluate it if it's something that you want to go forward with or not. But take the 30-day prayer challenge to pray out loud with your spouse and your kids at least once a day for the next 30 days. And I'm not talking about a half-hour-long prayer meeting here. I'm talking two minutes in prayer before the kids go to school or before they go to bed at night or before you and your spouse go to bed. And if you travel and are on the road a lot, call your spouse. You can pray over the telephone. It's totally legal, all right? I checked it in the Bible. You can pray over the phone, and it still counts as prayer both to God and with your spouse. And husbands, I mean, I can hear it already. I regularly hear them say, well, well, I just don't pray out loud. I'm not comfortable with that. It's just not something I do. I, I, I hear that. I understand it. And my response to that is this, get over it. Get over it. This is your wife. You talked her into marrying you, so she must love you and have some concern and compassion and want to be with you. And we talked about, I wish my husband would, and this desire for spiritual leadership. I mean, she may pass out the first time you pray out loud, but it's okay. Revive her and say, honey, I just said amen. It's over now, okay? They're not, she's not going to laugh at you. Your kids aren't going to laugh at you when you get down and go, dude, that's the worst prayer I've ever heard in my life, you know? They're not going to do that. They desire and they need that leadership from you. So, so man up and, and pray in front of them. And I'll tell you this, it may be awkward the first time. That's okay. The more you do it, the more comfortable you become in doing it. I mean, I, I was scared to death the first time I ever prayed or preached or anything like that. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with those things. So, so be vulnerable in front of them. And the other thing about this is you don't have to be the one who prays all the time. Some nights I pray. Some nights Shelly prays. Some nights the kids pray. Before they're going to school, we have them pray. Sometimes we both pray. It's just, you know, either you can mix it up. You don't have to be the one who's doing all the praying. There's a lot of ways to do it. But the most important thing is that you actually do it. And doing all of this is going to enhance communication. It helps keep your mind centered on Christ, which impacts your speech and your lifestyle. So take that 30-day prayer challenge. As we come to our time of invitation this morning, the first part of our invitation is the most important, and that's this. All of that I've talked about today, this renewing of your minds and being focused on Christ and impacting your speech and your lifestyle, it cannot happen apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you have never admitted to your sin and believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and then invited Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins, to be the Lord of your life, to take control of your life, then you are not going to be able to experience those things. But I've got good news for you. The Bible says that today can be your day of salvation. This putting off the old self, putting on the new, can take place right here, right now, as you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you do not know Christ and your heart longs for these things and the Holy Spirit has said, I want that, but you realize you can't do that because Christ doesn't live within you, then today, come and become the new creature, the new creation that God desires for you to be and has made possible for you to be through Jesus Christ. But maybe others of you here today recognize that you're not walking with Christ as you need to. You're not experiencing these things because you're not giving yourself to that relationship with Jesus Christ. So maybe today you want to recommit yourself and your family and your marriage to honoring Christ. And you know that you need to read your Bible and you need to pray and you need to practice the spiritual discipline so you can evidence these things more freely in your life. And so maybe you want to do that today and come and share that with someone so we can pray for you. Or you want to come to the altar and make that commitment to the Lord by yourself or with your family. Then the altar is open and we welcome you to come and do that.
And if God's been leading you to unite with this church so that, so that you can grow in your relationship with Christ and help us do what God has called us to do, we'd love to receive you today with that decision as well as you step forth and follow in believer's baptism or, or transfer a letter. Whatever decisions may be in your mind and in your heart today as the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, our time of invitation is a time for you to respond. But today I ask you, do you know Christ? Because you're not going to have Christ-centered thoughts. You're not going to have Christ-exalting speech and a Christ-exalting lifestyle without that relationship with Jesus Christ. So do you know him? And if not, would you come today? And if you do know him, are you experiencing these things? Are your minds and your thoughts fixed on Christ so that your speech and your lifestyle can reflect that?